in Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations in Newport, Richie. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. We know that Peter means rock, but was Peter the rock that Jesus said he would build his church upon? Or was it something else? This is the heart and soul of the debate and controversy that has raged over this passage of Scripture. Author Gregory P. Elder said he used to make intricate sandcastles when he was a young boy playing on the beach near his home. He made whole cities out of sand. One summer, a group of bullies came along and kicked apart every castle he made. So, Elder tried an experiment. He built his castles on top of rocks and then went and hid. When the bullies' bare feet hit those rocks, they had met their match. The attacks on the church by heretics, atheists, and others can be frightening, but not if we remember that the church is built on a solid rock that cannot be moved. This is Verse by Verse, and we are glad to have you with us today as we continue to consider the nature of the church. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher, and we're just getting going in this series from Matthew chapter 16 that Pastor Steve delivered a few years ago at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In his early days at Lakeside, Pastor Steve taught extensively about several issues relating to the church and its function. We'll briefly review a few of those topics and then move on to an important question that has divided Protestants and Catholics for centuries. Who was the first pope? Or perhaps more to the point, should there even be a pope? God has given us specific truths in his word about the church. And so back in those days, some of the, I think, critical issues that I taught on were issues such as the kind of government for the church. What kind of government does the New Testament teach? Are, are we just left up to our own to figure this out? Is it a plurality of elders who are pastors? Uh, should it be run by a dominant senior pastor? Or should it be congregational rule? Is the church a democracy? Those are issues we dealt with back then. I also spoke about the, the role of deacons in the church. Were they servants who assisted the elders in ministering to people, or were they men who would run the church and, and not have much contact with people? Mostly they were, were they men who just dealt with, uh, with money issues. I spoke about uh, deaconesses back then. Did we believe in deaconesses? And if so, what was to be their role in the church? often get kind of raised eyebrows from pastors when I say we have deaconesses at our church because in their mind they think of deacons as running the church. So we, we address that, that issue. What was to be our approach to giving? That was an important topic and biblical issue to deal with. Did we believe in obligatory tithing? That means you must give 10%. Or did we believe that the Bible taught free will giving out of love? As you grow in love for the Lord, uh, give whatever you want, but give out of love. Be generous, be sacrificial. What did we hold to about that? And then I also dealt with what I think is a critical issue. What did the Bible teach was the role in, of preaching in a church service? Did we believe that the church service should be evangelistically oriented so that uh, you could bring as a congregation your unbelieving friends and neighbors and, and loved ones and I would preach to them? And you would say, I don't have to get into that. That's why we pay this guy. Is that what the New Testament teaches or 
Or we grappled with this issue, did the New Testament say that God's people gather on Sunday mornings and and to be fed the word of God and then they scatter to evangelize? What was to be our issue? Were we to have long drawn out altar calls because this was primarily an evangelistic service or was this a feeding service for God's people? And speaking of teaching back then, we addressed the uh, somewhat, at least in some circles, touchy question of what did the New Testament say about the role of women in the church? Were they allowed to teach in the public worship service with men present? And if, if not, what was to be their role in the local church? In those formative years also, we dealt with the question of did we believe in publicly disciplining unrepentant members of our church? Or was that something that would be so out of place in today's politically correct modern world that out of concern for not embarrassing people, we would be very sensitive and would just delete that from our practice? So, folks, those are some of the issues and more that we, that we dealt with years ago in the first few years of my ministry And I believe that those specific messages helped us to lay the groundwork and foundation for what has become these last 27 years, Lakeside's approach to ministry. Because I believe with all my heart that this is a biblical approach that we endeavor to take to ministry. These are actually the New Testament principles that I have tried to build my ministry on for nearly 27 years as your pastor teacher. And I I just want to make sure that those today who are a part of our church, who were not here years ago, also know these truths so that we're on the same page, that we grow together, that you understand what we're talking about. And I realize that there is a whole new generation of Christians at Lakeside who have not been exposed to these important New Testament truths. And so I want you to be exposed. These were very important issues back then, issues that I I literally at times had to fight for to make sure that we embrace this as a church. And so starting today, I want us to begin to examine these specific key truths that Jesus told Peter about and the other disciples in Matthew 16 concerning the nature of the church that he said he would build. And so to begin with, I want to look this morning at the first key truth about the nature of the church as taught by Jesus, and it is this. The church is built upon a solid rock and foundation. The church is built upon a solid rock, a solid foundation. Verse 18 starts off this way. Jesus said to Peter, I, say, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, immediately after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord told him in verse 17 that he was a man who had been uniquely blessed by God. Notice verse 17. We looked at this last time, but I'll remind you because it really leads into verse 18. Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You're you're blessed, Simon, son of, of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter was a blessed man because the father had sovereignly chosen to reveal to his heart the truth about Jesus. What truth? The truth that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And and Jesus said, no flesh and blood revealed this to you, meaning no, no man, no human being sat down with you and opened up the, the word to you and instructed you, Peter. No, you were convinced in your heart because God sovereignly 
intervened in your life and gave you divine light about the true identity of Christ. If God had not done that, folks, Peter would have been just like any other Jewish person of his day who mistakenly thought that Jesus was only a prophet. But Peter was given divine light and revelation, so he was able to believe and to state the truth about Jesus. Now, it's in light of this important statement that Peter has just made about Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus now turns around and makes an important statement about Peter. Peter said, Lord, you are this. Jesus is now going to say, Peter, you are this. And he says in verse 18, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the question for us is to determine what exactly did Jesus mean by this statement about Peter? Well, he starts off by telling Peter what his name is, which may sound a little strange to us. Why? I mean, doesn't Peter know his name? Why why would he tell him? Why would he say you're Peter? Wasn't that the name he was born with? No, no, it was not. You need to understand that Peter was a given name by the Lord. The name that his parents gave to him was Simon. Peter was Jewish. His parents gave him a very common Jewish name of that day. Simon, you are Simon. But upon meeting Simon two and a half years prior to Matthew 16, Jesus changed his name. Let me show you this. In John chapter 1, starting at verse 41. This is when they are initially meeting Jesus. It says in verse 41, now it's speaking of Simon had a brother named Andrew. Speaking of Andrew, it says, he found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, that is, Andrew now takes his brother, Simon, and he brings him to Jesus, who he believes to be the Messiah. Jesus looked at him, that is, he looked at Simon, and he said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which John adds, which is translated Peter. Cephas is simply the Aramaic word for Peter. It means the same thing. If you read in the New Testament, Cephas, it means Peter. If you read Peter, it means Cephas. But that's the name he gave him. And that's why, as you read in the New Testament, sometimes Peter is referred to as Simon, sometimes referred to as Simon Peter. Sometimes he's just Peter, but it's all the same man. But now it's two and a half years later, and Jesus tells Simon the significance of the name change. You see, the word Peter is a translation of the Greek word Petros, Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, which means rock. Petra, I don't want to get real technical on you, but understand Petros means rock. So in saying you are Peter, Jesus was literally saying to him, you are rock, meaning you are firm, you are solid, you are stable like a strong piece of rock. Now, Peter, the thought is Peter will eventually be like this. At this point, he was anything but the picture of stability. But you will be like this, Peter. When I, when I begin to work you over and transform you and the Holy Spirit indwells you, you will become rock-like. And it may very well be, and I think it was, that this is the first time that anybody in history had a name like Peter. I mean, that's common 
for us today. We think of that's a name, but that's really a description that Jesus said. I don't know if there was anybody in history up to that point who was ever called Peter. It'd be like, you're, you're a rock, you're a stone, you're, you're a piece of dirt, things like that. You're grass, you're, it's an object. You are Peter, you are rock. And then, then Jesus proceeded to say to Peter, the rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the critical question that we face, folks, is to determine what rock Jesus had in mind that he said he would build his church upon. We know that Peter means rock, but was Peter the rock that Jesus said he would build his church upon, or was it something else? This is the heart and soul of the debate and controversy that has raged over this passage of Scripture. And frankly, it's not that easy to resolve. You're going to have to think today. And it's not easy to resolve because, you see, when Jesus said, and upon this rock I will build my church, he used a different Greek word, a different Greek word for rock. The Greek word he used for rock, it's just slightly different than the word that he used for Peter. It is the Greek word, instead of the Greek word, I should say, Petros, which is Peter, he used a feminine form of this word, Petra, P-E-T-R-A. Petros is Peter. The rock that he would build his church upon is Petra. And so the sentence actually reads this way. You are Petros, and upon Petra, I will build my church. Now, The difference, because there's a difference between these two words for rock, some Bible interpreters have concluded that it is something other than Peter that is the rock that Jesus would build his church upon. In other words, Peter, you are the rock, but upon a different rock, this rock, I will build my church. And so out of this centuries-old debate has emerged four primary views held to by different Bible uh, teachers about the identity of the rock upon which Jesus said he would build his church. I want to give you those basic views. First of all, the very first view is the one held to by Roman Catholics. And as we said, their position is that not only is Peter the rock that the church is built upon, but in appointing Peter, they say, Jesus was creating a position, the position of Pope, as well then as, as an apostolic succession of popes, all of who would later become bishop of the church at Rome. Now, the problem with this view is that there is absolutely no evidence in this verse or anywhere else in the New Testament of any kind of apostolic papal succession. In fact, if Jesus was here appointing Peter as head of the church, then the disciples didn't get it, nor did Peter get it. Why do I say that? Because just two chapters later, we find these men arguing amongst themselves as to who is greatest in the kingdom. Look over at chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Just two chapters later, you don't need to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20, Another argument breaks out. You have the mother of James and John who come to Jesus and say, I'd like you to do this for me. 
a favor. I would like one of my sons to sit on your right hand in the kingdom and one to sit on your left hand in the kingdom. Those were the most exalted positions, the right and the left hand of the king. And um, the Bible says when the ten heard of this, they were, they were indignant. They were, they were upset. Why? Because they wanted those positions of supremacy and exaltation. Now, think about this. If there ever was an appropriate time for Jesus to say, what are you guys arguing about? Didn't I just say that Peter is the head of the church? Didn't I just appoint him as as the one who is exalted over you? There's no argument. It would have settled it. But you know what? He didn't say that. He never said that. Instead, he went on to speak of humility. He took a child and put the child in the midst and said, you want to be greatest in the kingdom? Be like this child. Humble, teachable, be like this child. Folks, if there was ever a time to settle the argument, it was then. It was then. All he had to say is, Peter, come here. You guys didn't get it the first time. Let me tell you, this is the man that I've appointed as the head of the church. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. And listen, not only didn't the disciples get it, as well they shouldn't have because Jesus didn't say it, but Peter himself never asserted himself as having a superior position over the other leaders. On the contrary, in 1 Peter 5.1, Peter calls himself a fellow elder. Fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter never said, I am a superior elder over all of you. I'm the supreme elder. He didn't say that at all. And I might add a very curious thing about this view that Peter was appointed as Pope. You see, according to Roman Catholic theology, when the Pope speaks on religious matters, he speaks with divine authority. That's what they believe, meaning that he is infallible since he is speaking for God as his representative on earth. But I want to show you something very interesting. In Matthew 16, starting at verse 21, the very first time we read of Peter speaking on a religious matter after Jesus supposedly, according to the theology of Vatican, appointed him as Pope, notice what goes on. Verse 21, this is the first time Peter is speaking supposedly as the Pope. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. The very first time that Peter speaks on a religious subject, Jesus rebukes him and says, not only aren't you speaking God's words, but you're speaking Satan's words. You're trying to have me avoid the cross. You're absolutely wrong. You're fallible. And who rebukes the Lord anyway? Who would do that? In Jewish circles, we'd say this is extreme chutzpah. This is unbelievable gall. No, Jesus never appointed Peter as the first pope. This verse doesn't teach that, nor does any other scripture support this view. A second belief as to the identity of the rock upon which the church is built is that the rock refers to Jesus himself. Now, according to this interpretation, when Jesus said, you are Peter, you are rock, 
And upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock, they say, according to this view, is that Jesus was referring to himself. In other words, in saying this rock, Jesus must have been taking his hand and pointing to himself. You are Peter, and upon this rock, me, I'll build my church. And they say that's why you have a difference in these two Greek words, because it's a different person he's, he's talking about. So they would say that Jesus was pointing to himself as the solid foundation upon which the church would be built. Now, you know what? This view has a lot to commend itself for. This has a lot to commend itself for because there are a number of New Testament references that speak of Jesus as a rock. In fact, just, you just have to turn over to Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42, and you'll see this very thing. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it's marvelous in our eyes. Paul says essentially the same thing. 1 Corinthians 3.11, Christ is the rock, the foundation of the church. He said it in Ephesians 2.20 when he calls Jesus the chief cornerstone of the temple that God is building, meaning the church, God's people. The cornerstone, by the way, was the main stone that supported a structure. However, so I I do think that there's some great truth to this. Jesus is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. However, I don't believe that that's what he was talking about in Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to give you the reason why. I don't think that's the point of Matthew 16, even though there's great truth to that. And the reason I say that is because almost everything else that Jesus said in this passage is directed towards Peter. It's about Peter's role in the church. He goes on to tell Peter that he'll give him the keys of the kingdom. He tells Peter that he'll have authority to bind on and loose on earth. It just seems very unnatural, an unnatural way of communicating for Jesus to first speak about Peter, then change the subject and speak about himself as the rock, then return to the subject of Peter without giving any indication in the text that that's what he was doing. We don't talk, we don't go back and forth. And I don't think Jesus did either. And notice that the way the language reads, Jesus didn't make a contrast between himself and Peter. He didn't say, you are Peter, but upon this rock, I'll build my church, as if there's a difference between this rock and you, Peter. He didn't say, but. He said, no. No, he said, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. Not in contrast to you, Peter. But end, I'll do this. So although Jesus, yes, he is the chief cornerstone upon which the church is built, I don't really think that's the point that he's making in Matthew 16. A third popular view, and one that is held to, I might add, by many evangelicals today, it was the view of, the, of most of the reformers, including Martin Luther, is that the rock that Jesus builds his church upon is Peter's confession of faith. It is only Peter's confession of faith. And I think there's some validity to that view too. Because certainly the person and work of Christ on the cross is the foundational truth that the church is built upon. You know, that third explanation sure makes a lot of sense to me. Martin Luther and the other reformers got a lot of things right. However, this may come as a shock, but there's more to understanding Jesus' reply to Peter's declaration than is commonly accepted. And we'll have more about that on our next broadcast. Thanks for listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher for these Bible classes of the air, and he's been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
verse-by-verse is Lakeside's way of making his practical verse-by-verse sermons available to a broader listening audience. If you missed the first part of this three-part message, it's available for free. Download or stream it at our website, versebyverseradio.org. If these lessons have been a blessing to you or helping you in some way in your spiritual growth, we would love to hear about it. We have a couple of options available for feedback. One is to email us at contact at versebyverseradio.org or give us a call at 727-239-0306. That's 727-239-0306 or email us at contact at versebyverseradio.org. You know, another thing to think about is contacting the manager of this great radio station to thank them for airing these programs. I know that would really make their day. This is your announcer, Jerry Peterson. For most of my life, since I began trusting Christ nearly 45 years ago, if you had asked me how I understood what Jesus meant by building his church on this rock, I would have wholeheartedly subscribed to that third explanation we just heard, that it was Peter's confession that Jesus was building upon. But there is a little more 